Welcome to the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I am professional film critic Sean Patrick. With me is Jeff. Hello. Jeff, where do we find your stuff? JeffLasseter.com is my website. Um, I also have an Etsy shop. If you look up Jeff Lasseter Pop Cult, you'll find stickers and prints, and I've just added a bunch of original stuff. So go buy that so I can continue to live my life. <laughs> I hope the show has given you a boost. Um, I don't know, honestly, because I, I, I it seems pretty steady. I did have a decent December, which I usually do. Like I've I've been doing this shop since 2018, mm-hmm. late 2018, and I've noticed uh, every year around, say the end of November, like right right around Thanksgiving until the end of December, I usually have some pretty good weeks. But honestly, it's just you know if I if I make a hundred bucks a week, mm-hmm. it's a good week. So That's good. let's let's make it two hundred dollars a week so I can buy batteries for my star Wars display or <laughs> I don't know, frame some of my artwork, <laughs> not eat check, macaroni and should, cheese every time. After the success of last week's episode, you should share photos of your, of your star Wars uh, on our online. So people can see what they're supporting. I will. I will do that. <laughs> I don't, yeah. So, <laughs> so people will see if they, that they, if they pledge to this show, they'll be, they'll be, uh, you know, helping you display some of the finest materials of Star Wars history. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I just want batteries for the lights for my display. That's why are batteries so expensive? <laughs> that is a good question. I don't have an answer for that. Everything's so expensive now, but <laughs> I'm uh, at, uh, I, I, you know, if you, another good reason for people to, uh, to pledge to our Patreon is to help me get a new car. Cause I currently don't have a vehicle. So I have not seen any of the new movies this week, The Beekeeper, uh, The Book of Clarence, or Mean Girls, uh, because I currently don't have a vehicle. Uh, so, you know, if you want to be a patron, this is a great opportunity to help me. <laughs> yes, let's let's make this show the show of shows. <laughs> we'll make this a Patreon, Patreon begging episode. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, the more, like, the more people that support the Patreon, the more we'll be able to do special episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, like we talked about going to the last picture house and, you know, watching a movie all together and, mm-hmm. you know, arranging that, that kind of stuff costs money that uh, none of us really have right now. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, the more, the more people we can get, you know, five bucks a month is just, it's kind of the, the entry level. And then, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to, kind of go all in, we'll be happy to pick a movie for you to <laughs> review. Do a um, commentary on, like we're going yeah. to do another Friday the 13th soon. Yeah, as soon as you get a car, come over, we'll do. We'll knock out a couple Friday the 13th, and like I said, I really want to pop and do a Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective with you too. So Yeah, that'd be cool. But it can only be done if people will donate to our Patreon, so... Uh, Patreon.com and I Hate Critics uh, is that uh, where you can find that and uh, make a pledge of some sort. So we'd greatly appreciate it. Um, I'm, of course, uh, also seeking donations for uh, writing my book, uh, Horror in the 90s. We just talked about that a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, I thought the show went incredibly well on Sunday night. Oppenheimer coming away with Best Picture was a good choice. It seems like usually 
you know, oftentimes, and even with the, I'm, I'm very proud to be a member of the Critics' Choice, but it tends to be that, that there is always a consensus choice and not everybody can be, and a consensus choice tends to be the one that can garner the most, you know, <laughs> broad appeal. Uh, and I th- I was worried that perhaps something lesser might win, but th- in fact, I don't think there was a, there was a lesser one this year. This year, we did a really good job of putting together the nominees for, for Best Picture, and the fact that we were able to have uh, past lives in there as at least as a competitor that allowed me to vote for it was great. But uh, I can't go, can't say anything bad about Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer did end up being the consensus choice, uh, but I I can't be mad about it. That was my number th- uh, number three movie of the year, so uh, mm-hmm. I was pretty happy with that. Winning Best Picture, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, coming away, winning uh, uh, Best Supporting Actor was tremendous. Uh, I was really happy to see that, and I'm thinking that's going to be. Yeah, some some good uh, good motivation to push him to- forward into the award season uh, for potential Oscar nomination. Considering that the Oscar voting just ended today, Jeff, I can't I can't see him not <laughs> getting it. But I've been really really wrong before, so you know Mia Goth and Pearl. Um, <laughs> speaking of Mia Goth, did you hear the Mia Goth news? She's been she's being sued. She's being sued for allegedly kicking a uh, a scene partner in the head during filming of Maxine, and then going into following him into the bathroom and taunting him. And uh, that's part I, that part I hadn't heard. Yeah, just really weird shit. And then I was, you know, one of my friends was like, "Oh, I hope it's not true." And I'm like, "Dude, she's married to Shia B- LaBeouf, so oh. anything is possible." Oh no! <laughs> I was not aware of that. I <laughs> oh really? Yeah, I, I, that was one of those things I knew, but I thought they broke up, and then apparently she got bored during the pandemic and took him back. So hot goss! Wow. So so yeah, so, yeah. If, if she's accused of doing weird shit, it does make sense. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. Like, okay, everybody's you know. Innocent until proven guilty. But if this is true, it's like going to really my, my number one uh, movie of the year that I'm looking forward to is Maxine. And I don't really, I don't want this to be true, obviously, because I still want to look forward to that movie. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I, it is the only movie I am anticipating in 2024. Just, just, I've not heard anything else that I'm even remotely interested in so far <laughs> yeah nothing i can't i'm trying to think of something else that would be remotely interesting and there's just nothing there like i like the planet of the apes movies and there's a one that looks like it kind of goes a little more into the charlton heston ones mm. um bob and i talked about it after you had to leave a couple weeks ago so mm-hmm I, I just I'm so tired of IP franchises, even the ones I like. Yeah, I, mean, I just want I just want something like Maxine, which I know I guess is kind of an IP franchise in a way because it is the third film in a series, but it still feels so much more different and artistic than your average IP franchise. Well, uh, this is not success. This is not super successful. <laughs> speaking of IP franchises, uh, we talked Ooh. a little bit about the uh, the Ray Skywalker movie. Yeah. And the director coming out and saying, you know, all that. Um, 
someone on the internet started the rumor. I'm not going to give them the exposure that uh, it had it had been put into turnaround and w- was not going to happen. Uh, you know, it's like a long line of Star Wars movies that never happened, and this one's not going to happen either, and blah, blah, blah. To the point where Lucasfilm came out today and said, this is still happening. We are waiting for another draft of the script. Mm-hmm. Everything was on track. Um, you know, so many of, of the Star Wars movies under Disney have not happened. Um, the Patty Jenkins Rogue Squadron one is one. Um, you know, the Ryan Johnson trilogy has not happened yet, even though they, you know, they keep saying it's going to happen eventually. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of these. And so that I think that the people who were saying this really wanted that to be true. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there's that, there's that segment of star Wars quote unquote fandom that just hate star Wars. And, you know, we talked about this last week and whatever, but I think that, the fact that they're trying to preemptively say that this movie's not going to happen um, makes me really, 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 really want them to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Just to piss these guys off. And yes, it's mostly guys. Um, you know, and, and Daisy Ridley has recently been talking about it in the last couple of weeks, and so is the director, and good for them. I want it to happen. Well, we shall see. I do believe it will happen based off the information that I've read. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Let's talk about horror movies from the 90s. So I'm working on a book about horror in the 90s. I've been working on it for over a year now. uh, And I've only made it to 1991. But, uh, you know, (laughs) the the award season pushed me back uh, in terms of my my timeline. uh, Because I had to spend a lot of time watching awards movies. You know, my life is so hard. Um, <laughs> but this week, Jeff, I did, man, I've already got two entries that are currently posted at, uh, at horror.media and I've got another one, uh, hopefully going up tomorrow. Uh, the first one I did is called the unborn. Uh, do you recall the unborn? Uh, I re- recall the cover of the VHS tape. So the unborn is a Roger Corman produced film, which tells you a lot. About its quality. Uh, Perfection. <laughs> uh, Roger Corman, you know, known for his his uh, elite films, really, truly. Yes. <laughs> he can, he his, his legacy is helping, like, Peter Bogdanovich and Jack Nicholson and those guys, you know, find ways to make movies that were... Uh, that were, you know, they wanted to make and giving giving them breaks to get in where they wanted to get in. But his bread and butter was making movies like The Unborn. It's just really shitty, shitty movies. Uh, the Unborn stars Brooke Adams as a children's book writer named Virginia, who she she's de- desperate to get pregnant. Her and her husband, who is this just this milk toast loser named Brad, just <laughs> just complete non-entity. Um, they, they end up going to the special doctor to to try and get uh, get inseminated, and it works because the doctor is kind of a crazy uh, crazy guy who's trying to create a super race of babies. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, super race of babies ends up killing most of the mothers who get uh, this uh, treatment, and uh, 
Brooke Adams ends up having a baby that this, this little monster that like can control her mind and cause her to kill people, and then it kills people, and it looks so very fucking silly, Jeff. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. The tiny little baby monster is very, very funny. <laughs> Poor Brooke Adams. I mean, she went from being in my favorite sci-fi movie of all time, the 1978 uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, to the unborn, <laughs> a new generation in terror. <laughs> There's apparently a, a sequel to The Unborn that came out uh, later in the 90s, and uh, I'm not sure if I'll cover that one because I don't think it was theatrical, theatrically released, but uh, maybe. But how was Lisa Kudrow in the movie? Blink and you'll miss her. <laughs> yeah, she plays the an assistant to the uh, to the crazy doctor, uh, and. Uh, she she uh, she shows up for just a moment and and then is gone. So you you blink and you'll miss her. See, I don't think I saw this, but I'm looking through the pictures on IMDb, and first of all, uh, Lisa Kudrow looks like Maya Rudolph. Um, <laughs> second of all, James Karen is in this movie. Yeah, he's the crazy doctor. Worth seeing. Um, uh, God, there's a picture of the baby. Holy shit! <laughs> right. Oh my god, it looks like somebody went on a blind date with No, I I, I might have to watch this movie now. Um <laughs> It's terrible, just just heads up. It's not good. Well, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah. We fine. I like James Karen, I like Brooke Adams and I like Lisa Kudrow, so do you remember? Do you remember the Human Genome Project? Well, I didn't participate in it yet, but yeah, <laughs> you remember it as a concept from the nineties. Yes. Uh, the 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 conspiracy theory at the heart of the Unborn is that uh, uh, Karen's character he he is a former scientist with the Human Genome Project. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Apparently, no. And the, the Human Genome Project, by the way, is still something that is still happening. It uh, still goes on today, uh, mapping the human genome. Uh, and it, really, that's all it was, it was just mapping human genes. <laughs> very, very non controversial thing that scientists <laughs> were working on. But apparently, there was a, like a, a subgenre of like people who were conspiracy theorizing that the, uh, the Human Genome Project was trying to uh, change the human genes and like transform humanity or whatnot. God, if only they would. And of course, Roger Corman would lead into that. Of course he would. Yeah. <laughs> God, I'm looking at, uh, the, uh, the unborn Two, the photos from that. Oh boy. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, you're going to, you're going to get to that one for, in, it's in 1994. So, Right, but it wasn't theatrically released, so I got to make a decision if, if I want to actually watch it. Oh, I think you should do a, a chapter on horrible direct-to-video sequels because that's a lot of 90s movies. Yeah, it's also going to make the book a lot longer and harder to finish. One chapter. <laughs> I mean, this baby looks like a like an adult Joe Pesci who has like Benjamin Button syndrome. 
and sausage fingers. You have to watch this. Um. (laughs) Or you know what? Watch it and then like a dead do an addendum to your unborn chapter. Yeah. (laughs) The, uh, there's, there's something, you know, the thing about it is, is that there, there's a dearth of good movies made that take advantage of, of pregnancy as like a horror metaphor, because like first, first time pregnancies, people who are pregnant for the very first time, that is a terrifying situation. That is a, Mm -hmm. that is a, it's filled with all sorts of anxiety and fear. And it seems like something that a good filmmaker could take good advantage of. I think, uh, you know, not to say that Roman Polanski's done anything ever good, but (laughs) he's a terrible person, but he made a good movie in Rosemary's baby, which does seem to capitalize on the fears of, uh, of a first time, uh, mother. Uh, but so many, there have been a number of, like there's a, this is a whole subgenre of films the uh, that are about you know pregnant pregnant women giving birth to demons or you know and such and they they've, they're rarely any good. Yeah. Well, I think you know, like Rosemary's Baby really kind of set the bar so high that <laughs> you know how do you how do you match that? You know that that. Um, the confluence of like pregnant moms discovering their baby, something's wrong with their baby and demonic possession movies. Like <laughs> <laughs> just, there's just kind of like a, it's almost a circle mm-hmm. uh, in the seventies. Yeah. So didn't, did, was Freddie born? Didn't he do a thing where, where Freddie was a baby who was born? Um, that was nightmare on Elm street five, the dream child. <laughs> And Alice, who was in part four, who was introduced in part four, and her boyfriend, um, is it Rick? No, that was her brother. Um, Dan. Dan, the major league hunk. Um, <laughs> they uh, they got they had sex in the beginning, and then she got pregnant and gave birth to Freddie in a mm-hmm. dream. Ah. Or Amanda Kruger, the nun, gave birth. I, I just, I don't remember. I haven't watched it in a long, long time. <laughs> um, but there's a scene of, I think it's at the end of the movie, with Freddy erupting from the nun's chest or stomach or somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. This horribly deformed baby. You know what? Are we going to, I'm going to have to just post a different uh, Freddy image every week on the, on the show I think page. so. It seems that way. It Last week was the parakeet. Happen. Did you get a look at that? I did. Uh, yeah. The, it, yeah. Okay. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll have to find a picture of baby Freddy to send you. So <laughs> please. Yes. Show the world. You'll get to that <laughs> movie eventually. I think that was, that was in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Or was that late eighties? I think. Might have been nineteen. Yeah. I think the first, the first one, the first nineties, uh, Freddie is 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 uh, is three. I think. No, four, four. Yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, no, the Dream Child was nineteen eighty nine. Mm-hmm. So you just missed it. I think Freddie's Dead is the only nineties. Uh, 
besides New Nightmare. Oh. Uh, I'm checking that out while we're, you know, riveting audio. <laughs> um, 1991, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, you'll get to Wes Craven's New Nightmare this year. It was 1994. Oh, I'll take care of that one for the 94 podcast. And, mm-hmm. and uh, the other one for uh, the book, uh, which I'll get, I'll, they'll all be in the book, but you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other uh, the other one I've got up is just went up minutes ago, just before we, re- we started recording, is one of the rare hidden gems I found in, in the 1990s. Uh, there was a movie that came out in the 1990s called The Reflecting Skin. You recall this one? I do not. The Reflecting Skin stars uh, Vigo Mortensen, and uh, it's uh, directed by a guy named Philip Ridley. And you can see, like the the early sort of the essence of a of an of a Ari Aster uh, to this movie. There's the because all of the horror here is is so bright and so visual. And so uh, in the in your mind, like this is like a genesis of that. Like you could sense that perhaps maybe he was influenced by this. I don't think he was. I don't think anybody ever saw this movie because it only made seventeen thousand dollars during its theatrical run. But it's such an artful horror film. Uh, the, the 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 premise is that there's this little boy in Idaho in the early 1950s. He's a little sociopath. Uh, he likes to blow up toads and explode them in people's faces. Like, yeah, he's a little creep. Uh, He's uh, the movie centers on him. He's eight years old and uh, it's all he's a very unreliable narrator because simply because he's so naive, he has no life experience. So he doesn't understand all these things that are happening around him. Uh, The woman, he he explodes this toad in the face of this woman who's walking down a walking path. And her name is Dolphin Blue, played by Lindsay Duncan. Uh, And when he goes to, he's sent by his mother to go apologize to this woman. She has this mental breakdown in front of him that is just, <laughs> uh, it, it's it, it's exciting and strange and weird. Uh, she's talking about her husband who's just committed suicide uh, prior to the story, and he comes to believe via that conversation and via conversation with his father that this woman Dolphin is a vampire. He's convinced of it. Hmm. Uh, and you know, just in kind of that imaginative way a child has, uh, then one of his friends gets killed. His little, he's got two little buddies and one of them is just straight up murdered. We don't see this. We just see his body afterwards. Uh, and that's the key. The key to the film is Jeff is that a lot of it is happening in your head. They're putting the horror in your mind as opposed to showing you everything because Seth, the main character isn't seeing these things. So he's having to sort of elaborate in his imagination what is happening, specifically so that he can place the blame on Dolphin. Uh, and and that's, uh, that's part of the story, again, is this kid being unreliable. But his dad comes to be the one who is suspected of the actual murder of this child, but only because the dad was once caught having uh, sex with a man, which, of course, in the 1940s means you're automatically a criminal. Well, yeah, even now, now, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, you get arrested twice a week. <laughs> yeah, right. Just, just for being a gay man. <laughs> well, I wish. 
<laughs> just like the attention. <laughs> I mean, they'd probably send me to an all-woman's prison. It wouldn't be worth it. Uh, so, uh, Vigo Mortensen eventually returns. He was he was uh, in the war, but he was also part of the nuclear tests in Bikini Atoll that happened immediately after the war. Uh, and you know the, the furthering of our bombs that we were making, and that's led to him getting radiation poisoning. Well, he comes back and starts a relationship with Dolphin, and because he has, he's suffering from radiation poisoning, his brother is able to extrapolate that Dolphin is, <laughs> is a vampire who's killing him, which leads to something terrible that happens at the end of the movie. This movie is fucking brilliant, is what I'm saying. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. These beautiful, bright, golden soybean fields that you see are just the brightness. You don't often see so much color in horror movies. And hmm. it's a very unusual horror movie because, again, there's not a lot of blood. There's not a lot of gore. There is a body count. There's definitely a body count. Uh, but most of the horror, again, is just projected straight into your head. Interesting. Yeah. And no one saw this. Yeah, I've, <laughs> 17... ne I've never heard of it. $17,042 in its entire theatrical run in 1991. Wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> Hopefully, uh, I'll be able to check it out. Uh, yeah, it's available for free. It's on the Roku channel, so you're, you're, oh, okay. anyone can watch it anytime. And I do, I do recommend checking out the Reflecting Skin, and you find out why the title is the Reflecting Skin, and it is yet another horrifying image projected directly into your brain. Hmm. All right, and the third film that I haven't written up yet, but will be writing up soon, is Bride of Reanimator. Jeff, have you recalled Bride of Reanimator? I own it. I haven't watched it in a long time, but. Yeah, Bride of Reanimator came out in 1991. Uh, we're returning uh, Jeffrey Combs, which, how is how has Jeffrey Combs not had a resurgence? How has he not come back? How have, not, how have horror people not gone, hey, where's Jeffrey Combs? Do, can we put him in a movie? Oh, have you, like, okay. <laughs> what? Um. Well. Is he a creep? No, no, oh, no, 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 no. He, uh, he's recently started doing a lot of conventions and stuff. Um, uh, he is, is he, I think he's, he do, he's done, um, a lot of voice work, mm -hmm. but I think I'm trying to remember the last, uh, he did creep show one of the, an, an episode of creep show, um, a movie called holiday hell in 2019. Um, but a lot of voice work, a lot of voice mm. work. I mean, he has a great voice. Um, I know he's been doing uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Stand Against Evil. I'm looking up his IMDb again. Um, Bottom line yeah. is, I think that there, there's a there's an entire generation of horror filmmakers who are missing out not putting this guy in horror oh, yeah. movies because he is he is an ultimate creep. A uh, terrible doctor because he gets everything wrong every time. What is with this? <laughs> the idea here is that that uh, Herbert West and Dan Kane are supposed to be geniuses, right? They're supposed to be these guys <laughs> who are, are trying to defeat death uh, through reanimation. Uh, they're the serum that they, that uh, Jeffrey Combs' character, Herbert West, has created, and they get it wrong every single time. Mm -hmm. It never works. 
Jeff. It never works once in the first mm -hmm. movie. It doesn't work in the second movie. <laughs> I'm betting it won't work in the third movie as well, because there's a third <laughs> one that came out as well in the early 2000s, but I've not, I've yeah. not seen that one. Yeah, I don't think I saw that one either. Yeah. Uh, this is this is not good. It's not nearly as fun as the first film. Uh, no. It's a no, little it's bit not. more drawn out. Uh, the the it doesn't lean as much into the uh, comedic aspects as the uh, as the first one did. I thought the first one had a sense of humor to it that really kind of gave it uh, gave it uh, an engine underneath all of the creepiness. Uh, whereas this one just doesn't have that. It doesn't have any kind of sense of humor. It just sort of runs from one scene to the next very, very quickly with uh, Dr. Kane making some horrific creations where he, I guess he's just bored. He like put, he'll like, oh, let me put it, let me see if I can put an arm and a leg together. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, know, I got nothing better to do. Let me uh, staple this hand to this, uh, to this knee and see what happens. <laughs> Let me put, I'll take an arm and put it on a dog. Uh, you know, it'll work great. <sighs> yeah, I barely remember that movie. Because it's not very memorable is the problem. <laughs> the problem right. is, is as, as weird as it all is and as weird as the, you know, the body horror is, it's not a particularly memorable film. It's not a, not a particularly good film, I think. And it just doesn't really, it doesn't, it just makes these characters look very, very stupid. Why do they keep doing this? What's the point of continuing to do this when they fail so miserably? And poor Kathleen Kinmont, my God, this woman <laughs> went through so much to, to make this movie. <laughs> She's the, the final form monster, the, the, the so-called bride of the title. And I mean, it's it's certainly quite a visual, but man, I feel sorry for her that she went she went through all that for this movie. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, yeah, she's she's a really nice person, by the way. Um, oh, she that's good. Yeah, she does a lot of conventions and stuff like she that. She must be considering <laughs> that she must be the most patient human being in the world, having done what she did in this movie. <laughs> Well, I think part of it, the, the reputation of Reanimator, the first one, is so great, um, partially because of the cast. And they, they just, they're playing it like a 50s um, mad scientist movie. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West is running around like, I've got it, you know, by God, I've got it. And he's, a, he's got a little bit of Colin Clive to him from the original Frankenstein. Uh, mm -hmm. Fritz Weaver is just batshit crazy. <laughs> and he, it's like, he's picking off pieces of, of the scenery and with his dis, uh, with his decapitated body and putting, feeding <laughs> them to his decapitated head. You know, it's like, yeah, that the yeah. scene where he's about to go down on a woman is very, is very funny. It's very, oh. it's a very funny scene. But uh, I think the reason Reanimator works is because it was directed by Stuart Gordon, and Stuart Gordon is the, one of the oh, more yeah. underrated geniuses in, in film history. I mean, he's just mm -hmm. if you look back uh, on his stuff, and Nathan Raven, uh, the the uh, brilliant writer, has been going through the entirety of the Stuart Gordon uh, canon and just talking about how 
fucking genius he is and everything that he did. And he really did make a lot of great movies, even in these you know weird genre films are really quite good because uh, he's such a good director. Brian Yuzna is not as good a director. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> he doesn't have the eye. He doesn't have the sense of, you know, dark humor to him. He just, uh, he just doesn't have what Stuart Gordon has. And so the only good thing about reanimate bride of reanimator really is just, I guess the visual of the bride is, for a moment is, is weird and entertaining. And of course, Jeffrey Combs, who's just, who's just batshit. <laughs> he just, mm-hmm. you completely believe this man is just so bored that he would create all these weird, you know, creations and continue to try this this serum out of sheer insanity, even though it never fucking works. Not one time. No. <laughs> yeah, I just it, it's not as it's not as demented. I mean it's demented in a way, but it's not that fun, holy shit kind of demented. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, you know, from what I remember, that's kinda well, and especially where, if you're gonna if you're gonna evoke uh, Bride of Frankenstein, which is one of the all-time greats in terms of old school horror movies, you better bring the A game. If you're gonna if you're gonna evoke that, you've got to bring some A fucking game because that movie is amazing. Uh, and this is not A game. This is no, uh-uh. <laughs> this is far from it. This makes this me is... wish, this makes me wish I was watching Bride of Frankenstein instead of watching this. Which is I I I never really thought of that as a horror comedy. But I watched it again after somebody mentioned that they thought it was a comedy, mm-hmm. and oh, it's really actually funny. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Like inten- Bri- intentionally funny. Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Praetorius. Oh, genius, genius character. So. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, just finished Bride of Reanimator, and uh, I'll be moving on in. Uh, in the book and uh, continuing on uh, the journey through 1991, which uh, I believe next is body parts. Do you know body parts? Uh, that's Jeff Fahey, isn't it? Yes. I believe I've seen that in the, when it came out actually. Hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't remember much about it. Yeah, I have no, I have no memory of it whatsoever. So it'll be an interesting, it'll be an interesting find for me for sure to to see body parts. And then I've got back to back iconic sequels. I've got uh, Child's Play three and Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Nice. And that's what's still coming up in the in the uh, horror in the '90s series. Well, Jeff, uh, you have a car, so you saw Mean Girls. <laughs> I also live. A, like a three minute drive from the theater. So that helps. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the original mean girls. Mm-hmm. So I was like, regardless whether we we're going to talk about it on the show or not, I was going to go see it. And, um, well, I didn't love it. Oh, now I, I know that, um, did you know it was a musical going in? I knew it was a musical going in because I'm not a fucking idiot. <laughs> a lot of um, people are coming away surprised. No, I, I understand that. I uh, so you know the like the October third is Mean Girls Day, whatever kind of meme. Um, I was in New York on October third a few years ago, and 
I actually went to see a play with um, Bobby Cannavale and uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Cherry Jones, but I, for a split second, thought about going to see Mean Girls on Broadway mm-hmm. on October 3rd, <laughs> which, I, you know, but I did not. I've never seen the musical. I never listened to the music. Uh, so I went into this completely blind. Um, some of the songs were great. And some of the songs were okay. I realized that I'm supposed to, as a gay man, fawn all over it because A, it's Mean Girls, and B, it's a musical and Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But for the first half of the movie, all I could think about was the fact that it's the dialogue down to the inflections and a lot of a lot of it is exactly the same. Mm, okay. Um, there, they aside from the music, which there are some real, real good songs in it. Um, there wasn't anything new. They didn't really add anything to kind of update it. If you were, you know, if you're a, if you're a Mean Girls fan and you only know the movie, the original movie. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's not much there except the songs and, um, and there's Renee rap who is a fucking star. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, she's like, she's so good in this movie. If you, if you get a chance to watch any of her interviews, she doesn't hold anything back. She literally yeah, says, kept in a lot of black for that. Well, you know what? Fuck those people who are giving her flack because she's exactly what we need right now. Somebody who's not afraid to speak her mind and talk about the bad treatment she's gotten and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> when she's on screen and especially when she's singing, it's this, this movie is like top tier. Hmm. Then there's the part where, you know, like in the original, when Rachel McAdams was out of the movie for about, 25 minutes the last quarter of this movie she's in like two scenes and it you really miss her because everybody else is just kind of okay in it um and gory rice who i like as an actor she doesn't really she's not Lindsay lohan right and i and i understand that saying something like that is you know, she's never going to be. And that's part of the the discourse around remakes just in general. This should be its own thing. Um, but you miss all the original actors in it because they're because nobody here except for Renee Rapp is really doing anything outstanding. Hmm, um I will I will give them that Angori Rice looks so much like she could be uh, Jenna Fisher's daughter who plays her mom that hmm. it's a little uncanny at times. Yeah. <laughs> you get, you get flashes of like 2005 uh, Pam from the office every once in a while. <laughs> um, you know how, so you everybody has seen the original mean girls and the, the cast is really just, you know, <laughs> perfect for every part of it. Um, so do they do like a they, do they have a, a a dumb girl like what uh, Amanda Seyfried played? 
Yeah, and that's one of my biggest sticking points about it. Amanda Seyfried played it dumb in a smart way. Do you know what I mean? Hmm, okay. She was in. A, she was. Amanda Seyfried was in on the joke. Okay. Right. Aventika, who plays Karen in this one, seems like she's just doing a one-note joke. She's not in on the joke. She's just the joke. She's always looking blankly at the camera or wherever, mm. unless she's singing her song. And I just, I was like, there's nothing there except the dumb joke. Mm. Um, so that to me, that was like, she was, I'm sure she's great in other stuff. And she was great as the singer. And, you know, when she was singing her part. Yeah. Um, but her her characterization of Karen was just one note to me, and that really stuck out. BB um, Wood was Gretchen Wieners, and the fact that they did not say that her father invented toaster strudel kind of pissed me off. And I don't know if that's a legal thing or whatever, but <laughs> I mean, that's like <laughs> you know, she was. That's one of her things in the movie was the fact that she, her father invented toaster strudel. Yeah. Um, there's no, uh, I didn't really get any chemistry uh, between Katie and uh, uh, Aaron Samuels because Christopher Brainy to me was just a blank. He was no Jonathan Bennett. We'll put it that way. Hmm. Um, Jaquel Spivey, who played Damien in this version, was hilarious and funny and um, an amazing singer. Um a couple things that I did like, uh, Busy Phillips as Regina's mom, who replacing Amy Poehler. Yeah. Uh, she just like, she's, she's young enough. She looks young enough and she is young enough that she, uh, she really, you get that. I'm a cool mom kind of thing. Right. I've seen that in the trailers. Yeah. She gets, she gets that character perf- perfectly. Um, and, her and Renee Rapp look enough alike that you you really buy it. Um, I I know I'm going to butcher her name, but Aloui Cavallo, who plays yeah. Janice, mm-hmm. she's really good. Um, her and Damien are the narrators, so they sing a lot of the exposition, mm, okay. uh, which I think probably worked better on stage than it does here. Although they have a couple real good songs in it. Um, I overall, I, this is a this is like a rentable movie for me. Okay. Um, but it, there's not enough that differentiates it from the 2004 version to really recommend you know rushing to theaters and seeing it. Um, it's just like some of it is very rote. Like, oh, we said this, so we have to say it, and this is how you say it. Like that, you make sure that you're watching the movie, so. You know, you say it exactly the way that Lindsay Lohan said it. Mm. So her yeah, cameo is kind of cute. Oh, there's a there's a cameo. Mm-hmm. Not going to give anything away, but <laughs> she's good. <laughs> how was Tina Fey? I mean, did they? How did they treat the characters who were there for the original film? Tina Fey was Tina Fey. You know, she was just, a, she was Ms. Norbury like she was. Um, there is like a, a, a dropped um, kind of 
updating of her relationship with another character uh, that I don't think you really got from the first movie. Um, but there's a little, you know, a little, a little kind of, Oh, get this. You know, we we're, we're a little more progressive now. So um, yeah, she was the fact that she wrote the book for the musical is kind of disappointing because I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> it's not as snappy as the, as the movie was, even though it said, you know, it's kind of the same story up almost, almost like to a line from the original up until about halfway through. And then that's when the musical part of it kicks in even a little more. Yeah. And I think if, if this movie had been a musical, like, like a Vita where everything is sung, I would have loved that. Um, so, but you know, like Ashley Park is in the movie and she's great. I like her and a lot of stuff, but she's not, she's kind of wasted. So is John Hamm, uh, except for his like gym shorts. Uh, (laughs) John Hamm has some nice hams. We'll just put it that way. Ladies, um, uh, Jenna Fisher is not given anything to do really. You know, she's got, you know, she's, has a couple scenes, but um, she's not doing really anything better or more distinct than like Anna Gasteyer did. So overall, it's like it's rentable, mm-hmm. or I guess streamable. Sorry, um, but I don't, I I was kind of the first half kind of like lulled me into a sense of boredom. That's unfortunate. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we, the original was the classic this week, and yeah, I don't think there's much to say. I mean, it's it's a classic. It does hold up uh, even 20 years later. It's still it's still as good as it ever was. Uh, yeah, the the same jokes hit the same way and uh, just as well. Uh, I still find Amanda Seyfried to be the the highlight of the mm-hmm. film for me, and she's just so great. But you know, Ra- Rachel McAdams did create kind of an icon in her performance as well. So. Uh, is what is the thing that what is the lasting memory twenty years later for you of Main Girls? Well, um, people still say fetch a lot. Um, <laughs> they're still trying to make that happen. Um, <laughs> I think the it's it's the catchphrases for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, fetch and she doesn't even go here. You can't sit with us. I have a group chat that with some of my friends from high school that we had another person in it who blocked me. So I couldn't see any of the interactions that she was having with anybody else. So I just started a new one and called it. You can't sit with us. And that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> and, and, and a picture of Lacey Chabay uh, yeah. as Gretchen Wieners is the, is the avatar for it. Um, you know, it's not, it's like it, that movie is so much in the zeitgeist that I think, I think that this should have been marketed more as a musical um, and had more music in it. Hmm. So, and yeah, further separated from, from the original, which is just already so special. Yeah. You know, and they updated the cast to make it a little less, you know, like um, whitewashed. Uh, and overall that works really well for all the characters. Um uh, yeah, I just I, I think that a little more music and a little more differentiating it from the original 
would have been great. Hmm. There's one there sight a, gag. Oh, go ahead. There's one sight gag, and it's not giving anything away. You, you might not even see it the first time you watch it. Um, Tim Meadows, who plays the same character as he did 20 years ago, sitting, you know, is leaning on his desk, and behind him on the wall is a picture of him as the same character 20 years ago, leaning against his desk. Um, and that's that kind of made me laugh a little bit, but not a lot of laughs in this in this version of it. So, so there, I I'm, I I was struggling with the idea if there's even a need for a movie like this, considering you know what we have of the original the the original being so iconic. Well, I mean, it is technically it's a different thing because it's it's they're not remaking the movie. That what they're doing is they're bringing the the musical version to the screen which mm. worked really well for hairspray i mean that's a phenomenal movie to me mm -hmm. um but hairspray the way they did hairspray the music was much more pervasive and catchier yeah so you know there there's a need but not the way that they pulled it off which is so much closer to the the original movie. Mm. So it's watchable. It's just not one that, you know, I, I, if somebody said, Oh, should I go see it in the theater? No, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, uh, you want to play around a flick chart before we clap, uh, wrap it up? Yeah, let's do raising Arizona or Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Ooh. I actually like Mr. and Mrs. Smith quite a bit. Um, I'm going to pick that. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I know what I'm supposed to pick, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's raising Arizona all the way. That one's, uh, that one's a winner. So uh, you want me to flip a coin? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Oh, wait. Do you want heads or tails? Uh, heads. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. No, no one's seen that. That's not a movie. <laughs> what is it? Mean Girls, the musical? <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Unforgiven, 1992, or Fight Club? Ooh. Um, I'm going to say Fight Club because I, although Unforgiven is a really good movie, I probably won't watch it as much as I would watch Fight Club just on the background. Mm -hmm. Fight Club just feels a little bit more relevant, I think, even today. Yeah. In more of an unfortunate way, but <laughs> 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 for the people who like, people who, people who identify as Tyler Durden online are people who need to be on a list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know Not it. the hero of the movie, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Poltergeist three or Kingsman: The Secret Service? Oh God, I I hate the Kingsman movies. I hate that broy kind of movie. <laughs> I I'm sorry. I really I know that it's probably a better movie than Poltergeist three, but I'm going to pick Poltergeist three. It's ridiculous and horrible. But I used to work in the same building it takes place in, and. <laughs> The Hancock building was one of my favorite buildings in the world. So, mm, I'll flip the coin. 
Uh, I didn't win. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, go- sorry to the ghost of Heather O'Rourke. Never heard of either of those two. Moving on. Bronson or An Affair to Remember? The remake or the original? The 1957 original. Um, Bronson. Definitely Bronson. Bronson's one of the best films of this century. And Tom Hardy peeing in it, so... <laughs> I believe that's porn. I don't think we need to. Yeah, we're not. Why are you? Why is Flickchart throwing porn at me? I'm not sure. What's it showing you? <laughs> Already moved on. Long oh. shot or JCVD? Long shot. Yeah, I agree. Although I do like JCVD a lot. Yeah, it's a fun. It's a fun. It's fun to watch him deconstruct himself. Uh, in, yeah, you know, he's not a guy who who you see is having much of an internal. Life, so that, that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> the Lego Batman movie or Lost in Translation? I'm gonna whisper to you what I think the answer should be. <laughs> Just kidding, Lost in Translation, yeah. Lego Batman was not quite as good as the rest of the Lego movies, yeah. 2001 A Space Odyssey or Flash Gordon? Ooh, the Sam, uh, what's his face one? Yeah, Sam Jones. Oh, uh, Sam Jones. Yeah. Um, two thousand one. I, the older I get, the more I appreciate that movie. It's such a great movie. It just gets I better. W- it would have been swapped for me if you'd asked me when I was a teenager because I really loved the Flash Gordon movie with, uh, especially the soundtrack. So, Hairspray, nineteen eighty eight, or Wonder Boys. God, it's listening to us, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna pick hairspray. I don't, Wonder Boys was fine. Oh, Wonder Boys but, is fantastic. I, I have to go with that. It's one of my favorite movies of the two thousands. Ah, hairspray it is. <laughs> all right. Next up, let's see here. Again, those aren't movies. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've done so many things with flick chart that it, you, we've gone so far. I think we're running out of movies. Uh, <laughs> the X Files, nineteen ninety eight, or while you were sleeping. X Files for Amy. Same X Files for me. <laughs> I find I find while you were sleeping to be cloying. It's fine. It's a perfectly fine movie, but it's one of those. It's. A lesser Sandra Bullock movie. It's no miscongeniality. Hmm. Ray or Passengers? Ray. Ray. Yeah. Passengers was oh, disappointing. Ray, the upcoming uh, Daisy Ridley Star Wars movie? <laughs> I thought it was called Ray Skywalker. Yes, they should totally call it Ray Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> that is her name now, isn't it? Yep. Conspiracy theory or collateral? Oh, collateral. Yeah, definitely collateral. No question. Each one has somebody I don't really love, but. The founder with Michael Keaton or the contender with Jeff Bridges? Hmm. Hmm. 
I don't know. What are you picking? <laughs> I found the founder to be very disappointing. I expected a lot more from that, but I thought it came off like Ray Kroc propaganda. Like yeah. he came off it as as just trying to venerate somebody who maybe he was a good guy, but there I'm sure he but obviously he did a lot of things that were really shady to get to, you know, where McDonald's got to. So Oh yeah. Uh, the ca- the contender for me is Jeff Bridges oh. is having so much fun playing the president. Like just just these little asides about shark meat sandwiches. I just they stuck they stay with me even today. Just how weird that is. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm gonna pick the contender. Now that you talk about it a little more I'm... the nutty professor or Adam's family reunion. Uh which nutty professor? Because I can't see Nin- it on the screen. Nineteen ninety six. Uh Adam's family. <laughs> yeah, there's no <laughs> so that Eddie Murphy stuff is just so bad back in the day. Uh the bank job with Jason Statham or Insidious Chapter Two. <sighs> Insidious. Yeah, I'll up go there. I'll, until I'll you get to part four, I really like them. The Awful Truth, 1937, Cary Grant, amazing film, or My Favorite Martian with Christopher Lloyd. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's the Awful it's Truth. Be my, of course it's going to be My Favorite Martian. <laughs> Just kidding. The Awful Truth, obviously. Let's see here. Um, we've got uh, Deep Rising with Treat Williams or My Blue Heaven with Steve Martin. Hmm. I honestly don't give a shit about either of those movies. <laughs> um, I guess I'll pick Steve Martin. I don't know why. This, I saw this thing on Instagram. For some reason, this was on uh, just a joke that somebody made. That they were just basically saying, I don't believe that, uh, that, uh, that the FBI takes people and puts them into witness protection. And you can't prove me wrong because you can't tell me you're in witness protection. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, my blue heaven. I mentioned that because my blue heaven is about that. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the game, 1997, or the original Highlander. The game. Yeah, because Highlander is a terrible series of films. Yeah, I I only remember watching the first one because I thought Christopher Lambert was kind of cute, but that was All right. 30, 40 this years ago. Potentially divisive here. You could really hurt Bob's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, or Rocky? <laughs> Rocky. Yeah, it's Rocky. <laughs> Jason Goes to Hell is my least favorite of the Friday the 13th movies. Almost, it's it's neck and neck with that in the remake that from two thousand nine. Still, I hope you do have some good anecdotes for that when we talk about it. Oh, I will. I will. March but of the Penguins or Hall Pass? I have not seen either one of those movies. Hall Pass. Uh, March of the Penguins is great. But it, it's a documentary about penguins, so yeah, not much rewatchability. Hall Pass. I I never laugh at shit jokes. Like shit jokes usually just make me just just make me ill. I don't mm-hmm. like seeing that on, on in a movie ever. But Hall Pass has a genuinely funny shit joke in it 
<laughs> that I actually talked about on another podcast. Oh. Yeah. I went on this podcast that was about that was about talking about like bodily functions. They and they wanted to talk about bodily functions in movies. And I was talking about uh, you know the few times I've walked out of movies were related to people doing things with asses essentially. <laughs> the, uh, Formula Fifty One with Samuel L. Jackson where they're just they're just shitting themselves. There's just the scene where he feeds them uh, pills and they just start shitting themselves everywhere. And it's just I got up and walked out. And yeah. uh, a movie called College, where they're pouring, they were pouring alcohol between a guy's ass cheeks and forcing people to drink it. Mm. And it, it just again, just it was so needless. I just got up and walked out of that. And they so they wanted to talk about that and Sallow. So I talked about Sallow. I talked about Hall Pass <laughs> and those two movies. <laughs> it's one of the more interesting podcasts I've ever done outside of this one. But Chris is a good movie. I, I don't remember what the podcast is called anymore, but yeah. <laughs> Blood Diamond or City Slickers 2? Blood Diamond. <laughs> yeah. I did not, not like fan, the City Slickers. Not a fan movie. of Curly's Gold. No, not a fan <laughs> of City Slickers, just in general. Dante's Peak or This Means War? Uh, this means war is the Chris Pine Reese Witherspoon, right? Yeah, yeah, Dante's Peak. I don't, <laughs> Dante's Peak is a movie where they drive a Jeep over lava. I know that's why I'm picking it. It's <laughs> the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen in a movie. They're driving on lava, <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. I'll take this means war. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this means war. Good. This <laughs> <laughs> is such a dumb idea. So stupid. Oh. Let's see if I can get an actual movie anybody's seen here. How about uh, The Slums of Beverly Hills or The Island? Slums of Beverly Hills. Yeah. The Island is terrible. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Dude, it's really listening to us. The computer is genuinely fucking listening to us. The Power of the Dog or Formula 51? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh. I think there's a question on that one. Yeah. Obviously, Formula 51. Ah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Fahrenheit 9-11 or Zelig? Or Fahrenheit 9-11. Zelig's not bad, though. Well, Woody not Allen. Bad, I just, you know, just... <laughs> Woody Allen's bad, but not that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen that. Let's see. Really are running out of movies. Hereditary... Yeah. <laughs> which will win or the red dawn remake 2012 oh god <laughs> of course yeah you want, funny story about red dawn okay so my, my my dad this is back when he could rent video cassettes and mm. um there was that video store in your uh first floor yes there was, there was a video store that was under uh under the house i lived in as a kid yeah and 
So my mom had talked to my dad after she or she was on her way home from work. And she said, you know, oh, do you want to watch a movie or something? And he said, yeah, get the hunt for Red October. So my mom went over to the video store and got home and they like were all excited to watch it. And it was Red Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was so confused. <laughs> So, just a little stupid funny story. Yeah. All right, Jeff, we got to wrap this up, but uh, thank you very much. I'll thank talk you. To you again next week. Sounds good. Bye. See you.